Well, good evening. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Wollongong Baptist Church. I'm glad to see all of you here tonight, especially at 11 p.m. I know that you guys have got some parties tomorrow to go to or church to go to at 9 a.m. If you want to come, by the way, tomorrow morning. Uh, Don't feel like you have to. You're here tonight, which is a good thing uh, to reflect on the birth of Jesus. Uh, That's why we're gathered here tonight, like Mark said. Uh, We're here to think about Jesus and His arrival. My question as I begin, though, it's a bit of a weird question for you, though, is I wonder how late you plan on being to your Christmas party tomorrow. I wonder how late you plan on being to your Christmas party tomorrow. Now, maybe you're thinking, Joel, late? What are, you, what are you talking about? I get there early to help people prepare and to help people cook and clean. Look, I know you're a good person, but the majority of us are probably not going to do that. A lot of us are probably going to arrive late tomorrow, maybe 5, maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe 20 minutes late to our Christmas party. Now, why is that the case? Well, because if we're honest, majority of us don't like being the first person at a party. You know when you're the first person at a party and like the hosts are too busy cooking things, you see to like sort of stand in the corner or like have a glass of water. It's just awkward and uncomfortable. You know, all of us like to be those people that arrive 10, 15 minutes later when there's a reception there. Where you can make an entrance, you can make an arrival. You know, there's people to clap, well, maybe not clap, but there's people to like hug you and kiss you as you walk on in. You know, there's people high-five you, maybe. I don't know about you, but personally, I am already, you know, shivering at the thought of some of the, uh, I guess, uh, interactions I'm going to have tomorrow morning at Christmas with my relatives. You know, a lot of them I don't see except at Christmas, and because I'm six foot four, I have this habit of, like, shoulder-charging short women, Um, and so I'm really looking forward to that. You know, that's the, but if I'm honest with you, I prefer to have those awkward interactions as I arrive somewhere rather than no interaction. You know, I prefer to come late and arrive. You know, I think if you're honest, you're like me. And I think the truth is, is that all of us love a good entrance or a good arrival. You know, I think in our culture, arrivals matter. You know, maybe think of royalty. Think of when a king or queen is to enter into a town. You know, that arrival matters. Like that town or that city, that they're going to dress up. They're going to decorate the city or the town. They're going to put on a feast for the arrival of the king or the queen. Or maybe think of, I guess, people who like royalty today, like celebrities. You know, imagine when they arrive at maybe an award ceremony. You know, they come in a limousine, their arrival matters, they get out onto the red carpet. If they're a dude, you know, they've got a nice suit on, they're looking good. You know, if they're a lady, how they get out of the car matters. How they do that hair swell matters. You know, they want to look good just before they get interviewed because they're important people. You know, in our culture arrivals matter. And how people respond to arrivals also matters. That's what makes them so important. Like, could you imagine if those celebrities got out of the car and there was no one there to welcome them? It wouldn't be a big deal at all. You see, arrivals matter and how we respond to an important person's arrival in particular is incredibly important. And so tonight, we're going to look at Jesus and how He arrives into this world. And we're going to look at our response to His arrival. Our response to His arrival in the form of a baby, of a baby. And to do that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, which was just read out to us just then. But before I do that and dig into Luke chapter 2, let me briefly tell you what happens in Luke chapter 1, just in case if you're new to the book of Luke, or or maybe you're just new to this Christmas story. Very briefly, what do we learn in Luke chapter 1? What we learn is this. We learn that there's this woman, or who's actually more like a teenager, called Mary. And she's going to be Jesus' mom. 
And she's a teenager who is betrothed, or in other words, engaged to a man called Joseph, who's, who's a good, godly man. And what happens is an angel appears to Mary and it terrifies her and he says, calm down. And then he tells her, you're blessed. You're going to have a child. And his name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be an important child. He's going to be a king that reigns forever. He's going to be the son of God. And then she says, how could this be? I'm a virgin. And then he says, the gift of the Holy Spirit will give you the power so you conceive the son Jesus. And so what we learn in Luke chapter 1 is Jesus' parents, earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, and that Jesus is going to be born in a miraculous way to a virgin. Okay, that's the context. Now let's look at Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, keep them open there. We're just going to walk through this story, and I'm going to point out a few things. Uh, let me read to us verses 1 to 3, and it'll come up on the screen as well. And so, it says this, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius hard name to say, was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. All right, let's stop there. These first few verses tell us this timing of Jesus' birth. You know, it tells us it's the timing when Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor. Matter of fact, he was the first Roman emperor. It it tells us about this Quirinius guy, who I can't say his name, and has the governor of Syria. So, So generally, it tells us the timing of Jesus' birth, But then specifically, it also talks about how there's a census that is occurring, a census. Now, saying that word census maybe makes some of you just shiver a little bit as you think about the Australian census this year, you know, you think about how like frustrating it was, you know, how to fill in that form, you know, and also how the Australian government like couldn't keep our data safe. Or, Or maybe you thought about that $180 a day fine if you didn't fill it in. You know, if you think, oh, census, oh, man, what an inconvenience. Spare a thought for people who took a census in the ancient world, right? Like in in the time of Jesus. You see, back then, the census, it didn't come to you, but you went to the census. You see, you couldn't fill out a form on your comfortable couch, but instead you got off your comfortable couch and you had to walk to your place of origin, to where you were born or where your family is known of having that place of origin. You see, a census back in these days would have been, like, chaotic. It would have been a big deal for a region. Like, imagine right now if I said to you that you have to get up and you have to walk to where you are born. Personally, I was born in Gosford. If there was no cars, that would be frustrating. And they had no cars back then. If you're lucky, you had a horse or a donkey. Which begs the question, why does Caesar do this census? Why does Caesar do this census? Well, let me tell you a few reasons. One... Because he's narcissistic. He's, he's narcissistic, he's arrogant. You see, Caesar, like I said before, he was the first Roman emperor. He's a big deal. He, he brought peace to the Roman Empire as there was a t- series of civil wars that were occurring, and he was a big dog. He was an important person, but it all went to his head. You see, he thought he was the king of the whole world. And in, in many ways he was, but he thought he was even bigger than the king of the Roman Empire, that he was basically the king of the universe. You see, he enjoyed it when people called him Savior or when people called him Lord. You know, actually, I was reading this week is um, before Jesus was born, some people actually wanted the yearly calendar to revolve around Caesar Augustus's birth until Jesus came along. You see, this guy was narcissistic. You see, he wanted to have a census so he could count everyone who was under his rule. So he can go, that town is under my rule. That person is under my rule. That person is under my control. 
You see, he was narcissistic. He wanted to count everyone to see how many cards he had, basically what he had in his artillery, who was under his rule. But also, he wanted to demonstrate that power by getting people, like I said, to get off their couches, their homes, and go to their place of origin, which would have been a huge inconvenience. He was narcissistic as a king. But then secondly, he was also incredibly greedy. Incredibly greedy. You see, as this census took place, Caesar would have been, you know, in his palace you know, at the same time for this census, you know what he does? He does it so he can collect more money, more money. See, he was a greedy king, not a generous king. He was a king that took, not a king that gave. And so, that's why he did the census. And so with that in mind, and that backdrop of this type of king that's in the world, who thinks he's the king of the world, let's learn more about the true king. Let's look at verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. And let's look at how this census affects Jesus' parents. Let me read to you, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So like I said, Jesus' parents, earthly parents, are Joseph and Mary. And this census meant that they had to leave their hometown of Nazareth and go all the way to Bethlehem. Now, if I'm honest with you, this census is a big problem for this couple, and for multiple reasons. Because firstly, Bethlehem and Nazareth are not two towns that are close together. They're 150 kilometers apart. And like I said, there's, there's no cars, there's no hovercrafts or hoverboards. You know, you've got to walk or you've got a donkey if you're lucky. This is bad news for Joseph and Mary. It's, it's a big walk. But it's also bad news because Mary is heavily pregnant. Now, I don't know if you've been pregnant before. Personally, I haven't. My wife has. Let me tell you, if when my wife is heavily pregnant, if I asked her to walk 150 meters, let alone 150 kilometers, there would be issues. This is bad news for Mary and Joseph because Mary's heavily pregnant. But thirdly as well, this is bad news because if I'm honest with you, Bethlehem is, is a bit of a hole. Like, it's a bit of a hick of a rural town, and it's only famous for one thing. You know, to be honest with you, it's sort of like the town of Robertson. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there. Like it's, like, it's a nice town in the Highlands, but it's famous for one thing, and that's good pies. It's famous for good pies. Bethlehem is similar to that, but it's not famous for good pies, obviously. But instead, it's famous for being the birthplace of kings. And maybe like, whoa, that's, that's a pretty cool claim. Like, I wish Gosford was the birthplace of kings. That would be pretty cool wherever you're born. But specifically, Bethlehem was, it was, it was not a big town. It was a small town, and it was famous for the birthplace of two kings. Number one, King David. Probably the best king in the Old Testament, King David. He was born in Bethlehem. But number two, the second famous king is the promised king, the Messiah, the Christ, who is to come from David's bloodline. You see, in Micah, we're told, we're prophesied that the next future perfect king, the Messiah, was to be born in Bethlehem. And that's what it was known for. You see, Bethlehem was a bit of a hole, and that's terrible news for Joseph and Mary, but also it's a hole that was really packed, like it's really full. Like, like think about this for a second, right? Like, all these people are at Bethlehem because of the census, and even a pregnant woman cannot find a place to stay. Like, how packed does a place need to be that a pregnant woman cannot find a room. It is packed. And so I'm guessing that Mary, and I'm guessing he doesn't tell us this, that Mary and Joseph are pretty frustrated and they're pretty angry at this point in time. 
But if they were, that anger would have been turned to joy pretty quickly, especially as this baby comes along. Let's have a look at the good news. Look at verse 6 to 7. It says this, While they were there, that's in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them. You know, the, the water breaks. You know, like Mary goes into labor potentially for a few hours. We don't know. You know, there's no birthing plan. There's, there's no birthing suite. There's no midwife. There's no epidures. You know, there's Joseph, you know, and he's probably never delivered a child before. You know, there's no comfortable room. There's a stable, like a place for animals. Like, think about it, what's going on for poor Mary and Joseph. But then this, this precious baby, their firstborn son, is born. And I'm guessing after she takes care of Jesus, looks after him, she's exhausted, needs a break. And so she looks for someone to put Jesus. There's no cot. So instead they find this trough, this manger where animals feed. And I'm guessing they cleared it out and they put down this precious baby Jesus. Like I said before, my wife's been pregnant uh, twice. I have two sons, Elijah and Isaac. And I still remember the first time Elijah was born. It was at um, uh, Wollongong Hospital about four years ago. And I remember just how nervous I was when this little baby came into the world. I remember looking into his black eyes. I didn't know they had black eyes when they came out. I'm like, that's scary. But I just remember being like, this little guy is so fragile. He's so vulnerable. Like, I had to, like, everything, I, I had to do everything if not he would die. Like, I had, to, I had to hold up his neck if not, like, he would die. I had to, like, clean his bottom if not he would die. I had to, like, not drop him if, like, you get the point. Like, you know, when I put him in the car, I had to drive incredibly slowly so I didn't hurt the little guy. Like, I was so nervous. And I don't think I'm the only person. When you have your firstborn son or daughter, you're just so nervous because they're so fragile. Like, I, I wonder what it would have been like for, for Mary and Joseph you know, like, they got told that this baby is special, that, like, he's the Son of God. Like, can you imagine holding the Son of God in your, in your arms? And how nervous you would be. Which, which sort of begs the question. You know, like, if, if Jesus is this miraculous king, if he's this promised king, if he's the Son of God, why does he come to earth in a baby? In such a vulnerable, such a fragile, such a, a killable baby. You know, why doesn't he, like, come down on a flying fox and, like, jump on the stage in front of an audience, like a rock star, have lightness, you know, lightning show, fireworks? Or why doesn't he come in, like, an impenetrable tank? Why does he come, this little baby? Well, the story goes on. It tells us a few things about this Jesus guy and why he comes in the form of a baby. You see, the, the setting changes here in regards to the story. It changes from Mary and Jesus in the manger to shepherds and angels in a field. You see, like, uh, shepherds back then were equivalent to, uh, I guess today, like used car salesmen. And no offense if you are one, but it's not necessarily like a job that's well respected. That's what shepherds were back in the day, in Jesus' day. And yet God doesn't appear with an angel to the shepherds to tell them about how a baby is born. I mean, sorry, it doesn't appear to a king, but it appears to these shepherds. You know, Caesar Augustus would have been waiting in his palace, waiting to be told about this newborn king. But instead, God appears to these shepherds. Because God is a shepherd, and because David was a shepherd, and because Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. And the angels say this to the shepherds. Let me just read verse 10 and 11. I don't have time to read it all. This is what's key. In verse 10, the angels say this to the shepherds. They say, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Three, three titles of Jesus there that are so critical. We get told that Jesus is a Savior, that He's the Messiah, and that He is the Lord. Savior, Messiah, Lord. Let's talk through these three things because it's critical, critical to understand who Jesus is, why His birth is important, and, and how do we respond Firstly, he's a, he's a savior. Like I said, I've got two sons, Elijah and Isaac, uh, and both of them love superheroes, just love superheroes. Like um, I, Elijah, my oldest, he loves dressing up as Spider-Man and like shooting me with his spider web. Isaac loves playing around with his uh, little Iron Man configurine. Now, both of them, right, have never seen a superhero movie. You know, like we don't watch Spider-Man and like Iron Man. We watch Peppa Pig, right? But like these guys love superheroes. And you know what? We're the same. You know, adults today love superhero movies. You know, on Netflix, Marvel are constantly bringing out new series. Superheroes is something that's just as popular today for us as adults as it is for little children. And I think the reason is pretty simple. It's because all of us deep down long to be saved. You know, I think deep down we all know that we're imperfect. You know, we've done things we wish we didn't do. For some of us, unfortunately, tomorrow is not so much a happy gathering, but it's a broken one. We've bad relationships that have been broken down over years because maybe something that we've done or something someone else has done. You know, I think the truth is we all long for a perfect, strong Savior to come save us from our imperfections and to help us be more perfect than what we are. Also, I think all of us long for a Savior to save us from harm and from death. You know, if you've seen these superhero movies, that's what they're constantly doing. You know, they're trying to save people out of harm's way. You know, the good news about Jesus is He is that Savior. You know, like Jesus' name actually means Savior. Like He comes to save us from our imperfection, and He comes to save us from death and gives us the gift of eternal life. He's a Savior. You know, a famous passage in Luke's gospel, we're told that Jesus is the Son of Man. He came to seek and save the lost. He's the Savior. Secondly, he's the Messiah. Maybe you're wondering, what does the word Messiah mean? Well, a, a synonym or another word for Messiah is Christ. It means the same things. Maybe you're wondering, what's, a, what's Christ? Well, Christ is an anointed king. And, and so what the angels are saying here is that this promised king has been born. This one that comes from the line of David. This king that is going to be a generous king, not a greedy king like Caesar. A king that is going to be humble and not arrogant like Caesar. A king that's going to give his life for the sake of his people. Thirdly, he's going to be the Lord. He's going to be a better Lord than Caesar. He doesn't need to count people to to show his control. He rules over them as a good God he is. You see, He is a Savior that comes in the form of a baby to save us and to be like us. He he comes in in the form of a baby so that He may die for us. He he comes as a king to bring in a new kingdom. He comes as the Lord to rule over us perfectly. And, And how does that climax, how does that all occur? Well, obviously it doesn't happen when He's a baby. But as we all know, He grows up and becomes a man. I wonder if you thought about this. Jesus' birth points to Jesus' death. If you think of his birth, as he is wrapped in cloths and placed in a manger, and then as he dies, he is wrapped in cloths and placed in a tomb. Jesus Christ is the king who was born to die. 
He was born like one of us so that he may die on behalf of us. That is why he was born as a baby. That is why he is vulnerable. That's why we can be vulnerable in return. You see, Jesus is a gift, the greatest gift there is on Christmas. Tomorrow, I'm guessing some of you, or hopefully all of you, it'd be awkward if you don't, are going to receive a gift. Uh, And when you do, my guess is, is that you've already know how you're going to respond to the different gifts you get. If it's a really good one, you're going to be like, yes, you're going to smile, you're going to jump for joy. You know, if it's not so good, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I really like that. Thanks so much. You know, like I'm guessing you've got your line ready to go. Um, You know, we all do. We're all ready. How do we respond to tomorrow's gifts? But I I wonder how you're going to respond to the gift of Jesus and how you're going to respond to his arrival. You know, I I think if maybe if you've been in church for a little bit, Christmas can come a bit stale. Your heart can can come a bit hardened to this good news. You know, like it almost, like Christmas can almost be like a wedding that you go to every single year. Like, you know, you go to a wedding and like when the bride arrives the first time, she gets out of the limousine or whatever she's in, she's with her father next to her that no one cares about, walks down the aisle, everyone's looking at her, she looks great. And everyone's like, oh, she's here, it's so exciting, the bride's arrived. But can you imagine going to the same wedding like every year for like 10 years? You'd just be like, yeah, I get it, she's important, like hurry up, walk down the aisle, like say your vows, get it over and done with, kiss, all right, move on, let's go home. And I think sometimes we can feel that way about Christmas. And Jesus' arrival, which, which shouldn't be the case, because he's so much more magnificent than some bride walking down the aisle. See, how do we respond to the birth of Jesus? Well, in this story, we learn two responses. We learn the response of the shepherds and the response of Mary. And I think those two responses are two, are two or three responses that I think we can have to the birth of Jesus. You see, I think we can respond tonight in one of three ways. Either we can respond by pretending like it doesn't matter. We can respond, secondly, by pondering the birth of Jesus, or thirdly, by praising God for the birth of Jesus. We can respond by either pretending, by pondering, or praising. Let's talk about these ones quickly. Firstly, by pretending. I think the truth is, is that you can just pretend that this story of Jesus just doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter for your life. That's just a nice thing to think about, you know, maybe once a year. And yet, Jesus was probably the most famous person that's ever lived. More songs are being sung about him, more artwork created of him, more books written about him than anyone else in history. Like literally, our year's calendar revolves around his birth. His birth matters historically, but also personally for you. And so if you're thinking about just pretending like this doesn't matter, can I implore your heart to actually to reconsider that and, and maybe just to ponder just, just to ponder, maybe not praise God, but just ponder, does this actually mean something for your life? Does this actually change your life? Because you see, the truth is, is that Jesus will give you more joy than any Christmas present you're going to get tomorrow. It's, it's joy to all people, and it's joy that lasts for eternity. Secondly, after pretending, you can ponder. You know, what's interesting is that Mary, like, gives birth to Jesus. Like, this is her son, and she's gone through all this, had angels appear to her, and still she's not ready to praise God immediately, but instead she just treasures this in her heart, and she just ponders and thinks, what does this mean? Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're not ready to praise God for what occurs at Christmas, but maybe you just want to ponder it. Maybe you just want to think about it. Maybe you just want to dig deeper into who Jesus is. And if that's you, can I, can I encourage you to do that? That's a good thing. 
can I encourage you to dig deeper and to read God's Word and to, and to read more of Luke's Gospel and who Jesus is? Can I, can I encourage you to come to church next week as we start our series on the parables of Jesus and learn about who He is? And thirdly and finally, I think you can respond to the birth of Jesus by praising God. By praising God. Just like the angels and just like the shepherds, you can praise God for the birth of His Son, for the birth of this glorious King. In a second, we're going to have a few more songs. And during those three songs, can I encourage you to be like the angels, to sing our glory to God in the highest heaven. Can I, can I encourage you, not only are we going to sing a few songs, but we're also going to take communion. Now, communion, another word for that is the Eucharist, which is just a fancy word that means thanksgiving. You see, we can come and take communion as a, t- as a way of praising God and thanking Him for what He's done through His Son, Jesus. You see, the bread, it's not any magical bread. It's symbolic of Jesus' body that was shed at the cross. And the, and the juice, there's no magical juice, but it's just juice, but it symbolically represents Jesus' blood at the cross. And so in a second, you can come up and take communion. You can do it while the songs are occurring. Take your time, think, ponder, pray the death of Jesus, and come up when you're ready to take communion and praise Him in response. Christmas. It's the arrival of our King. The, the King who was born to die. The generous king, not the greedy king. The impressive king. The king who wasn't arrogant but humble. The king who came as a vulnerable baby. A killable baby. Ends up dying on our behalf. May we respond in vulnerability ourselves. May we ponder. May we praise. How about I pray to close? Father God, we want to thank you so much for your generous gift of Jesus. We thank you for how he arrived. As one of us as a little baby boy, as a baby like we have all been. We thank you so much that this baby is our Savior, is our Messiah, and is our Lord. Lord, may we never stop rejoicing over the birth of our King, but instead may we respond in praise. And for some of us here tonight not ready to do that, may we ponder, may we dig deeper, and may we think more about this child and how important he is. We thank you so much for the gift of Jesus, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen.